look with us. We're still in Romans 9, getting down towards the end of the chapter. Um, I'd like to take just a minute and kind of review on what we've covered in Romans up to this point, and it'll just be a quick review uh, of all the the doctrines that's got us to where we are. So uh, we began the book looking at sin, and from the fall of Adam till today, the far reaches of sin. Sin's corrupted every man that's been born. Sin has uh, overtaken the heart and the mind of man, and man is in a state of total depravity towards God. He says in Romans 3, There's none that seeketh after good. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. That's the natural condition of man. As man is born into this world, and I say man, we mean mankind. I'm sure you understand that. Man and woman both. Born in a state of depravity towards God with no desire to seek God, no desire to do better, no desire to leave sin. And there man is. And not just the Gentile either. You know, in this day, as Paul wrote that, they would say, well, of course the Gentiles are sinners. But the religious Jews were sinners as well. All were in need of a Savior and of forgiveness, of mercy and compassion from God, without which no one was going to be saved. And the law was added, and some today have corrupted their doctrine, and they teach that the law had some means of salvation in it. Well, that's not the case. The law did nothing to help the condition of mankind. The sacrifices in Hebrews, you can read, I believe it's very plain, they made nothing perfect. The sacrifices were not effective in saving man, nor was the law effective in keeping man from sin. But it was there, as he says in Romans 3 again, it was there that every mouth may be shut and all the world become guilty before God. So the law was added for me to look, recognize how short that I am from God's standard of righteousness, not my standard, not the nation's standard or the world's standard, but from God's standard of righteousness, recognize that. And when, when man comes to the recognition of how shortcoming he is to the righteousness of God, that leaves me in only one place. I've got to look for a means of righteousness. And so in Romans 3, he says, therefore that the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Jesus Christ was given and righteousness was imputed. Not that it was worked out or worked for, not wages for what I've done, but righteousness is imputed by Almighty God unto man. Jesus Christ came and lived that life of perfection. And at the cross, the wrath of God for the guilt of my sin was poured out upon Him such that all my guilt was imputed to Him that His righteousness might be imputed unto me so that our righteousness today has nothing to do, and it would be good to understand this completely, that your righteousness today has nothing to do with what you've done in your life, nor what you've done this week. We can easily be brought to a place of deception, the truth, that we rely on what we've done and we think that makes us right with God, and thereby I think I'm more right with God than you are, and that I'm more right with God than half of the church or all of the church or this one up the road or down the road. But the truth is now, our righteousness was not what we had and it's not what we earned, but God imputed righteousness from Jesus onto our case so that your righteousness and my righteousness, they're the same. They're of Jesus Christ. Peter said, Peter was an apostle of God, the first apostle that's listed in all of the Gospels. Peter said to those that have obtained like precious faith. The faith that you've got is the faith that I've got. It's what Peter says. They're, they're common. They're the same. 
That's what God imputes unto those that He saves. And we've got, um, we got examples of that from the Old Testament. This doctrine of imputation. Well, how can it be? Is it fair that God imputes? Well, He tells us about Abraham. Abraham's a picture and it's implicitly stated in the Old Testament that Abraham believed God and God counted it. That's imputation to him for righteousness. Not that Abraham was righteous. God gave him righteousness because of his faith in what God had said. And we have the, uh, the example of Adam as well. Adam sinned in the garden and his guilt and that transgression fell upon all of mankind. His guilt is imputed as well. You see that? So that when I'm born, I'm already born with a fallen and a depraved nature that inclines towards sin and rebellion. I'm born that way. I don't sin to become that way. That's what Adam did. Adam was made, created by God, and he was made perfect without sin. And Adam sinned to become fallen. But you and I, we come from the womb fallen. Not what we do makes us that. But it's by birth. It's imputed from Adam. So that example is given as well in Romans that just like sin from Adam was imputed on all of the race, righteousness from Christ is imputed unto all those that believe. So this salvation in Christ is once... For all. He tells us there's therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Those that are in Christ have peace with God. They are justified, declared to be right by God, not to be undone at a later date, not to be taken back at some other time, not to need, as we've already heard, another sacrifice or another salvation later, but God has declared those in Christ to be right with Him from the point of redemption. You could go back to before the foundation of the world there. But from the point of redemption throughout all eternity, those that are saved are saved and they're saved forever. Now that leads to another problem in man's mind of well. I can be saved then and I'm saved forever. What I do after don't matter because it's not of works. So then why not just get saved and then just go live in the world and enjoy the world? Now that that sounds great to the flesh, don't it? I mean, I'm going to get the best of both worlds. I can be saved and escape God's wrath and yet still enjoy sin. But that can't be the case either. Not because... Not because I'm going to restrain and do better and be good. But in Romans 6, there is a regeneration that occurs when one is saved. God, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost of God, moves into a man. And whether you say, and it's, it's given many different ways in the Bible, whether you say raised from the dead and resurrection, you say uh, made a new creature a new creation in Christ Jesus, or you say here, buried with Him in baptism, raised in newness of life, no matter how you say it, the Holy Ghost brings out a new man in Christ Jesus that that soul that's saved is not free any longer to go and serve sin as they please. So that how can we continue in sin? Shall we? He says in Romans. God forbid. So that God works a new creature changing the desires, the minds, and the thoughts, and the desires of those that are saved that they're not able to go back freely to the sin that they were once in because now God is guiding and controlling their life. They are new creatures 
by the re- regeneration of God. But now that doesn't mean that there's not a battle either. And he talks about the battle. There's still an old nature and a carnal mind and a wicked man that inclines to sin. But in them that are saved, we got Bible for it, there is a man inside that's born of God that is greater than the man on the outside. Them that are saved, having the Holy Ghost within them, have the means to subdue the outward man. So that lives then, well, I'm saved, I'm saved forever, and nothing I do can undo it. Well, that's true. If you're saved, that's true. But that can't be used as an excuse as to how I'm going to get to heaven though my life is lived in sin because God changes those lives that are truly saved and born again. So onward in Romans. The Holy Ghost then not only regenerates and makes a new creature, but the Holy Ghost resides with believers from that time onward. He's there to guide them into the knowledge of the truth to help their understanding to grow of the Word of God. He's there to to comfort them in afflictions and in trials. He's there to assure them of their salvation. He guides them in prayer and in supplications towards God. He is their companion through this life day after day. And through Him the believer is able to overcome all things. Paul said in Hebrews, right two verses down from where Chris read this morning, Paul said, We're not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Why couldn't they draw back? Because the grace of God was there causing them to endure and go onward. See, this preservation, this is God preserving those that He saved. Because we are kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. The church is anchored completely in the work of God. So this redemption, then, only comes by God's foreknowledge election, predestination. I believe we could all agree up to this point. The majority of folks would agree. But now here is where people would break off. And a lot of folks would break off from your doctrine here. But Almighty God then is by His grace and by His foreknowledge, not foreknowledge of what I would do either. That just don't work out. What could He have foreknew that I would do? What I'm going to do is continue in sin. That's what I'm going to do. I I realize that. I'm not God. But I realize that had God not intervened, I would have never, ever done any better than what I was. And we know this, that the Jew and the lawyers and the Pharisees, and the priests, and those with the the most intimate knowledge of all the Old Testament, those that had spent their lives studying the Old Testament, that when Jesus came, they did not believe Him. Now how can you explain that? I I said before, if anybody's going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, would it not be the ones that have the most knowledge of the Word of God? But that's not the case, is it? The majority, the vast majority, disbelieved. So how how can you rightly explain that? It's evidence of this, that salvation is indeed only by the grace and the enabling power of God Almighty that brings man to Jesus Christ. Knowledge didn't do it for the Pharisees. Wisdom didn't do it for the priest. 
a head knowledge didn't do it for the Jew. But it was only by grace such that a publican and fisherman and all of these, the lowest class righteously of all the nations, they believed and followed Him and were made to be apostles. Now how did that happen? How did the the wise people and the studiers of the Word, how did they miss it? An ignorant fisherman and an ungodly publican and all of these sinners, how did they see it? Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Jesus said again, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should bring forth fruit so that then all of this glory and all of the honor for the salvation of sinners goes unto God. We'll we'll look at more of that. And uh, we've got examples of that out of the Old Testament in Isaac, in Jacob, and to Pharaoh. God deals with man as He pleases. God saves man as He pleases. God is sovereign and acts according to His will and no one else's. God's the authority. God's the King. And He gave us examples of that from the prophets. So He says then in Romans chapter 9, verse number 30. So we've just looked at these three scriptures of God revealing that... Let's just read the last one, verse 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Seboeth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and have been made like unto Gomorrah. So had God not left a seed... Had God not brought a a remnant out of the whole of it? Now we're talking about Israel. Not of a wicked, ungodly, heathen world, but of Israel, the people with the very oracles of God. And had God not pulled a remnant out of that number, there wouldn't have been any of them saved and they'd have been incinerated like Sodom and Gomorrah was. So see, all of this salvation, all of this righteousness, all of, uh, all of faith, it's all traced back to God. None of it, none of that originated in me. All of that came from God. And when someone's saved, all they can say is, thank God. Thank God that He convinced me. Thank God that He drew me. Thank God that He provided a sacrifice. Thank God that He forgave and justified me. Thank God that He's given me the Spirit to guide me and He didn't let me run back to my own self-will, but He's guided me from that day forward until today. Thank God for His wondrous salvation provided in Jesus Christ. That's all that can be said. There is no thanks nor honor for the recipients of it. It's all unto God. So, what shall we say then? So now listen to this, and we've said this a few times. We're going to sum it up. That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness. Even the righteousness, which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. So notice now, if it is of effort, if it's something that man is doing in order to obtain it, then this don't make any sense. Because he says the Gentiles, they weren't following righteousness. They weren't seeking God. They didn't pray to God. As a matter of fact, many be the times, it was the opposite. They were hateful towards God. They were hateful towards His Word. And they were bowing down and serving idols and false gods. And they got saved. And the Jew, Israel, who had the revelation of God. Now if you go back now 
you go back to Abraham, and if God doesn't speak to Abraham, and God doesn't speak to any of the prophets, and God doesn't send His Son Jesus, how are we going to know who God is? There's no way. It's going to be like it is in the heart of the unbeliever. God's going to be what we think He is. But God's revealed Himself. Israel had the divine revelation of God while the Gentile world had speculation and opinion and theory and well, I think this and I think God says this and I believe God wants this. Israel didn't think like that. They had the very Word of God that revealed the mind of God unto them. And they were following after this. I believe we're going to see in chapter 10, they were striving to do the right thing. They wanted to keep the law. They wanted to do good. They wanted to be moral. They wanted to be right people. But they did not attain to righteousness. So then, I, I believe that, that those two verses prove what he said earlier that it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that sheweth mercy. Now we'll, and I, you're going to hear repeats here and there, but all of the Jews didn't die lost. The man that wrote this was a Jew. God did save some of them. God saved some Jews. And God didn't save all of the Gentiles, but He did save some of them. And in these works now, it's proving that it's only by God. If all the Jews were saved, then we'd say they were saved because they were Jews. If all the rich people were saved, I would say, well, they were saved because they were rich. If the poor people, if all of them were saved, we'd say, well, they were saved because they were poor. Or the slave, or free man, or uh, the, the royalty of the world. And those in government, you can divide it up however you want to divide it. But if all of one crowd saved, man's going to say, well, they were saved because they were this. And don't you dare think that man doesn't think that way. Man thinks that way. And man even thinks today, well, I'm saved because I did this. And I'm saved because mom and daddy did this for me. I'm saved because of some work that occurred. It's not true. It can't be true. It's not what I've done. We're saved because God sovereignly chose to save and deliver. And that's the only reason. This proves that. You know, the church, the church is a, the, the real born-again church. It had slaves and free men. It had rich people and it had poor people. Healthy people, sick people, educated and uneducated. God brought all different kinds into the church and none of them had any glory over the other. Because they all got there by the grace and by the working of God. So Israel followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. So to attain, to arrive at. But notice what they were striving for. The law of righteousness. Now, the truth is there's only two ways for a man to come to God. We're going to come by the perfection of the law of God. That was the Old Covenant. The Old Testament. We can come by keeping the law perfectly or we can come to God through the sacrifice of His dear Son and have righteousness imputed unto us from Him. Now, it's so certain now that nobody's coming to God by the Old Covenant that God said in His Word, nobody's coming by the Old Covenant. And God is bold enough to say that if your name isn't written in the book of life, 
You're going to be cast into the lake of fire. So God, I believe God knows, don't you? Nobody is going to measure up to the law of God. Everyone that is outside of the righteousness of Jesus Christ is going to suffer the eternal damnation of hell. Without question. That's where those that try to come by the law come. But the Jew, they continue to try to obtain it theirself. And that's what man does today in himself. They're trying to obtain righteousness and salvation themselves. But you know what would be good for me to realize that I'm never, that word attained, to have arrived at. I'm never going to arrive at perfection by the law. The adult class, we're all old enough here to reason just a little bit in our mind. And we're able to reason enough to understand that we've not kept the basic ten commandments of God all of our life. So if perfection is keeping them all, all of my life, and I've already broken it, then could we not realize this? Then I can never attain, I can never arrive at righteousness by the law. It is already too late for every one of us here to be declared righteous by the Old Testament and by the law. You know, the Jew never realized that. And they continued to think and believe in their mind that they were going to arrive at righteousness one day. One day, we're going to do enough. We're going to pray hard enough. We're going to offer just the right lamb and we're going to do just enough good to obtain the righteousness of God. That's what they thought. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. They didn't want to come by faith. They wanted to earn it themselves. And as long as in my mind, I feel or I believe that I'm able to earn it myself, faith is of no value The truth is they could not attain it, nor can anybody here, nor can anybody on the face of the earth. If it, if it were possible, if there was a slim possibility, if there was a sliver of a chance that man could attain righteousness, then God would have no need to have sent the Savior. But there is no means. If Christ died for all, then without question, all were dead. All needed redemption. But they weren't going to come by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Now to the Greeks, this way is foolishness. A talk of a God a lot of times is foolishness to the Greeks, to the wise of the world, but of a, a God that comes in flesh and that died on a cross and that rose again, you're in great levels of foolishness there. We don't think that way. This wasn't foolishness to the Jew, but they did stumble. And they stumbled at this, that what they were was not sufficient to get them into heaven. They stumbled that what they were, what they had done, where they had been, and what they were going to do was not sufficient. They believed that their lineage back to Abraham, they had a book at the temple that they could go to, search it out, and trace it all the way back to Abraham. Looky there. I'm of the lineage of Abraham. And my parents, they circumcised me on the eighth day, I've lived as blameless a life as could be lived. I'm not a mixed breed. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And I'm not one of the tribes that broke off from Israel. I'm a Benjamite. I am the real deal Hebrew of Hebrews 
a Jew of Jews, and what of God is sufficient to save me? Now those words, that's what Paul said of his own self. That's what Paul was. And he said, I had to count every bit of that as worthless, as dung that I might have Christ. Because Paul came to the realization what he had was not sufficient to save him. You see that? He come to the place that all of those things and all of those uh, attributes that Paul had, he recognized that he was the chiefest of sinners. Now how did he come to that realization? He didn't come to that from Gamal's teaching of the law. He didn't come to that from the Pharisees' teaching of the law. He didn't sit down and study long enough to come to that realization. But he realized it just like Peter did. God came and illuminated him and revealed the truth of God to him. How's man going to come out of that today? God's illumination of the Spirit of God. That's the way man will come out, whether it's a Gentile in the wicked sins of this world, a Greek that is so highly educated, ever bit of this is below him, or a religious person that's trusting and believes with all of their heart that what they have is sufficient. I tell you, God's illumination will bring them all to Jesus Christ. He certainly will. And so, they stumbled at that stumbling stone. When it comes down to what you have is not sufficient, they tripped over that. Their foot struck against that. And there is where man strikes against the gospel today. It can't be that I need to be saved. It can't be. I mean... And we do just like Paul does in Philippians. We go back over everything that we've done and how we went to an altar, how that we've been baptized, how that we've done good and we've went to church and we've paid tithes and we've been moral. There's no way that I need to be saved. And they're stumbling at that stumbling stone. As it is written, behold... I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. Now here he is, God's chosen and God's placed means of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, and the way for man to escape the wrath of God and enter into heaven. And God says, I've laid a stumbling stone. Even Jesus coming, giving His life and resurrecting is a snare to people. Now how, how could it be that here's the means of sacrifice and salvation and that causes man to fall? It's man's fallen condition that's the problem. Man's mind, remember the depravity of man? Remember man's deception of the devil? Paul said the gospel is hid to them that are lost. Even the good news of the Lord Jesus is hid to them that the devil has blinded the minds of. And I tell you what it's like. It's like coming to the world without form, void, and darkness covering the face of the deep. Now what are you going to do to help that? If I said, let there be light, is light going to come? It's out of man's power. But you know, there came a creator one day that acted on the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was, without question, the devil didn't fight him for it. He didn't have to war for a day or two to win the right to do that. But God said, let there be light. And the darkness did not comprehend it. But it fled away. 
Now that's what Paul says in Corinthians, likening the gospel. It's hid to them that are lost. The devil's blinded the minds. How long are they going to be blind? Until the Creator comes and says, let there be light in their heart. Then they can be illuminated and then they can see it. See, it'd be depressing if I thought, well, you've got to teach it just right and then they'll believe it. If that's the case, we'd, we'd strive till we killed ourselves. I believe that. To the end that try to get man to see it, but man can't see it until God illuminates him to it. Let there be light. When God illuminates now, it'll be seen. When that occurs, it'll be known. Paul, who had all of his faith and trust in himself, immediately fell on his face and said, Who are you, Lord? No argument. You don't argue with God. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You let God come and illuminate you. It'll be hard to back up on God. It will be. I promise. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So they won't be put to disgrace. So there is Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the Savior of all those that will be saved. If man is going to be rescued from the wrath of God, he will come through Jesus the only way the only name given under heaven, the only Savior provided for the righteousness of mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. To them that trust in Him, they'll receive a salvation that they will not be ashamed of. But He's going to cause a multitude of people to stump their foot over Him and to fall for whatever reason. Matthew chapter number 3. Verse number 5. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism... He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. So this is John the Baptist. I'm sure you all knew that. But here comes the righteous crowd. You know what they're going to do? They're going to stump their toe on his preaching. Because yeah, them sinners need saving. Them wicked ones need forgiving. They need to be baptized. Something needs to happen to those folks. But God forbid, I don't need that. But John addresses them. Your generation of vipers. Have you been warned? Is that why you're here? Because you're afraid of the wrath that's to come? That wasn't why they were there. They were there to see what was going on. They were there to say they had been. As news of this man's preaching out in the wilderness is going, well, we better go see whether this is a right thing or not. Man comes to God. Man comes to an altar. Man comes to church. Not because he's repented. Not because it's a fruit. See, they were there listening to John preach. John says, bring me some fruit that proves that you've repented. Is there any evidence that proves that you've repented unto God and that I should baptize you in the river? Any evidence? What is the evidence? What is the fruit of repentance? The presence of the Holy Ghost. A man repents. The Holy Ghost will be there. Will be. So, they were going to stumble at the preaching of John, 
and a multitude are going to pre-stumble at the Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So now here's their need. You know what's wrong? They're lost. Pray for them that they'll do better. Pray for them that God will bless them. Pray for them that God will help their families. Pray for them that God will deliver them from the Romans. Pray for them that God will exalt them above all the earth. A lot of times silly things are the focus of prayer. And that is the case in our world, is silly things. But the real need for Israel is that they'd be saved. Paul says, if I could pray anything for them, I'm not praying for anything but their salvation. That's that's the need that the people have. And if that need is present, there is no need on the face of the earth that's anywhere in comparison to the need of salvation from the wrath of God. I think that's worth noting. We say being saved. That means to be rescued. What are we rescued from? The wrath of God. You know what hell is? A furnace of fire. A place designed for burning. Who designed that place? Who who makes sure that there's fire in that place? That fire is there by the Word of God. And those that disbelieve are going to be cast into the furnace of fire to endure the wrath of God forever. Israel needs to be delivered from the wrath of God. Now again, we've said this several times as we've went through this. Let's say it one more time. If in chapter 11, when he says all Israel shall be saved, if he's speaking of natural, fleshly, from Abraham Israel there, then why is Paul worried about whether they're saved or not? Why is he in chapter 9... I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Nobody's getting in on any natural uh, requirements or attributes or anything that does with the flesh. They've got to be saved. Israel had to be saved like the Gentiles had to be saved. There was no difference in Christ Jesus So, uh, verse 2, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So a zeal, bear them record, to be a witness, to testify, or to give evidence that they have a zeal, a heat, a burning of God, but not according to knowledge, recognition, or full discernment. Paul doesn't say that these are wicked people seeking to smite God in the face, wanting to teach God a lesson, wanting to prove their point against God. But these are people, I believe Paul could say from experience, being one of these right here, that had a burning desire to please God. They wanted to be pleasing unto God. But their effort and their strife and their labor to be pleasing unto God was not according to full discernment or recognition. It wasn't according to the Word of God. So the thought today, and it's prevalent, that as long as you've got faith, as long as you're trying hard enough, As long as you're doing good enough, you can be saved. It don't matter what your faith's in, really. Well, that's not true. They wanted to please God, but they did not have understanding. or You know what they needed? They needed a better understanding 
of who God was. And if they had full recognition and discernment of who God was, of how holy and perfect that God was, of what God required in righteousness, then they could have said, you know what? I don't have any hope here. But it was that lack of understanding that led to them being in the condition that they were in. That same problem. Remember the blindness of the devil. People are deceived by the devil. It's a lack of understanding. It's what it all boils down to. They do not know God. They do not know their condition. They do not know the wrath that's to come. And they do not know that they need to be saved. The Jews had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. So in John chapter 16, so look at the Jew here. Verse number 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. So to the place now, the place of deception, that they think killing the apostles is accomplishing the will of God. Now that's pretty deceived, wouldn't you say? You know, that's where Paul was though. Paul was there when they stoned Stephen and Paul didn't think he was opposing God. Paul didn't believe what he was doing was trying to put down God's church. Paul thought this way was a heresy. Paul thought it was deception against God. Paul said we need to kill that out lest it take over. No knowledge and no understanding of the truth. Man today has no knowledge nor understanding of the true requirements of God to the place that even in their sin they think they're doing God a service. The Jews were sinners. They were unrighteous. They were guilty. They had no way that they could obtain righteousness. God provided a Savior and they rejected Him and wouldn't hear Him. And they thought they were doing God a service. They thought their testimony, they thought their offering, they thought their money in the uh, offering plate, they thought the lamb that they offered, they thought all of that was really bringing honor to God. When back of it all, they had rejected the Son of God. They had rejected His Word. They had rejected His salvation. And they had rejected the gospel preached by the apostles. Now do you think then that their little service overcome their rejection of God's Son in the eyes of the Lord? I can tell you this, that going to church, being baptized, and all the list of good works that we can have today, it will not overcome a rejection of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel of God. To turn down the Savior, you know, that's the sin that can't be forgiven. If I'm guilty, now think about this, let's reason and then we'll stop. If I'm guilty and unrighteous and I'm on the road to hell, God sends the Son Jesus as my only means to have my sins forgiven and atoned for and for me to escape the wrath of God and I turn Him down, then what, what means do I have of being saved? I have turned away from the only opportunity I had for redemption. There's not, and what He means there is, there's not another sacrifice coming that's going to allow me to escape from rejecting Him. I've turned down the only means of redemption that there is. The Jew thought they were doing God a service, yet turned down the means of salvation provided by God. Now, there, there's no salvation outside of Him. All of the world outside of the ark 
will face the wrath of God. I'm sorry. That's right. There will not be another one in the future either. Once for all. For they being ignorant. So one more word. Not to know through lack of knowledge, information, or intelligence. So it wasn't a lack of intelligence here. And it wasn't, now, wasn't a lack of information either. They had it. They had it. They carried it with them. The scribes, they wrote copies of it. It was the scribes' job to take a pen and write copies. They didn't have printing presses. They wrote it day after day. They carried it with them in their pockets on scrolls. They had the information. But boy, how far did man fall? Man fell so far that having the divinely inspired Word of God breathed by the Holy Spirit through holy men, having that under his arm, in his lap, having that that he could read it, that did not provide the information needed for me to come to God. Now, I I realize that may not sound good, but I couldn't pick that up and read it and it bring me to God alone. I couldn't. Not that the Word was short, and it wouldn't that the law was weak either, but I was weak in the flesh. I was depraved, sinful, and blinded by the devil. This Word of God, though it has the words of life, And I believe in this Word of God is guidance for my everyday life, understanding of the world that's spiritual, the war between good and evil, truth and a lie. There's direction there for my salvation and for my life and for my eternal redemption and glory. It's all in the book. Yet to an unregenerated fallen man in Adam, blinded by the devil, he can read it and never get the information out of it that he needs. What's got to happen? A regeneration has to happen. God has to quicken the minds that they can see or they're going to leave this world blinded and deceived by the devil. That's where we'll stop. Anything on your heart you'd like to say?